Al Jazeera podcast. What's being promised by Zimbabwe's main candidates in the upcoming elections? Unemployment, poverty and high inflation will be a few of the core issues facing millions when they head to the polls in August. The two main candidates are expected to be incumbent President Emerson Mungagwa and his younger rival opposition leader Nelson Chamisa. Will they deliver on the commitments they're making to voters and what challenges will they face? I'm Tom McRae and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast where we dissect, analyse and help define major global stories. Well, let's bring in our guests now in Harare, Vince Masewe, an economist based in Zimbabwe's capital. In Pretoria, Piers Pigu, head of the Southern Africa programme at the Institute for Security Studies, which is a South African think tank. Also in Harare, Tendai Ruben Bofana, political analyst and social commentator. A warm welcome to all three of you. Thank you very much for being on Inside Story. Tendai, if I can uh, please begin with you. How, what is your take on the political, say, uh, political situation two months out from the election? How much trust is there that these elections are going to be fair and free? Thank you so much for inviting me to your programme. Let me start on a very... Uh, pessimistic note to say that so far the elections do not seem to be free and fair at all. Let us remember that an election is not an event. It's a process. So the, this election that we are headed towards in August started at the end of the previous election in 2018. And so for the past five years, what we have seen has not been good, does not augur well for a free, fair and credible election. We have seen that the opposition has not been allowed to campaign freely. Um, most of their rallies, uh, where they go out to campaign to the public, they have been uh, banned or barred most of the time. They have not been given clearance by the police. We have also seen that uh, the Electoral Commission itself, there's been of late so many controversies surrounding the delimitation of the boundaries that are used in constituencies for the election. There's so much controversy surrounding that. We find that in urban areas that are predominantly known as being opposition strongholds. Most of the, some of the constituencies have been merged such that we, call, we consider that as gerrymandering and that now the opposition has less likelihood of getting seats in urban areas. While in, in rural areas, which are known as the ruling PF strongholds, much more constituencies have been created. So already we are seeing the unfairness of the whole process. We can even go on to the state-controlled media. Mm. As, as long as I remember, the opposition has never been given fair coverage in the state-controlled media. It has been turned into a ruling party, propaganda too. All we are here are, we hear are reports on how the president is, is performing well, how the ZANU-PF party is doing fundamental development, and yet the opposition is hardly covered in the state-controlled media. If anything, if you are to hear anything about the opposition, they're being labeled as sellouts, as traitors, as mm. unpatriotic, as people who have caused problems. Every conceivable problem that we have faced in Zimbabwe is perceived as being the creation of the opposition supposedly working with foreign agents such as Western countries. So you find, as we have also seen, a lot of political violence, especially in the past year or so, with uh, a lot of opposition uh, supporters being beaten up, 
We have heard reports of abductions of opposition members, senior members, including a parliamentarian woman who was uh, allegedly abducted. And uh, we, no one has been held accountable for that. Uh, at the same time, we've seen that um, whenever the opposition has tried to, 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 to engage with the public, with its membership, most of their men meetings are raided by the police, and some of their members are arrested. And then of late, of course, we've heard of the Job Sikala, who's the vice chairman of the main opposition, CCC, who's been incarcerated mm. without a trial for the past one year, 12 months, he has been incarcerated. There's no trial. He has been denied bail repeatedly. And, and yet we are expecting there to be a free, credible, peaceful election. As far as mm. I'm concerned, there is no way we can we can ever label this election to be free and credible as okay. long as these things are in place. Okay, Thank that's you. a pretty a pretty dire. Thank you very much. That's that's a pretty dire um, outlook uh, you're you're putting out there, um, Vince. Is that how the people in Zimbabwe view these elections as well? Are they that pessimistic? Well, yes. I mean, today is quite right. Uh, but what we have to understand too is the, the process of elections, the architecture of elections in Zimbabwe has really not changed since 1980. Uh, you know, the elections are run as a military exercise. The institutions around the elections are still the ones that are in charge of the processing of the whole thing. So the confidence levels are very low uh, because, you know, because of the patronage system that we have here. So yes, I would agree with Jendai. Uh, on, the, on the school. But obviously, added to that is the issue of the economy. In that people are really struggling. They're not looking forward to any elections because they're not expecting significant change. So it's almost like, oh, listen, let them get, get it done and over with so we can carry on with our lives. There's no major expectations of fundamental transformation or fundamental changes in the economy and in the social structure of the country. So it really feels like this is just going to be, I guess, progress as normal. Piers, I want to come to you. I mean, Vince uh, just touched on it briefly there. How big an influence is the military playing in these elections? I mean, are they basically pulling the strings behind the scenes here? Well, I mean, this is a good question, Tom. And, 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 and of course, the role of the military in Zimbabwean politics and economics is a... Uh, an arena where there's much contested uh, debate. Uh, the, there is clearly a, a growth since the coup in 2017 of military interest in terms of personnel uh, being deployed into the economic sector and into uh, areas of the administration and political sector. This is not a clear-cut issue of men in uniform uh, uh, puppet mastering the po politicians in front of them. This is a, a unique Zimbabwean version of military influence. Uh, but there are very clear indicators that uh, the military's political partisanship, which they, in, in places in the past, have articulated very clearly their partisanship towards the incumbent ZANU-PF, uh, that the guarantees in the 2013 constitution about uh, uh, non-interference by the military and so forth uh, are simply uh, not worth the paper they're written on uh, at this juncture. I mean, there isn't a clearer or mm. clearer uh, evidence of their involvement in the coup itself. And then, of course, uh, the fact that the vice president is the former chief of the defense force and very senior members are there. But as I said, this does not 
necessarily mean these are the interests of the military per se, but the interests of individuals in the leadership of the military or former senior cadres who were in the military and redeployed elsewhere. This is not about enriching the military. Uh, this is about enriching individuals associated with the military and associated with the ruling party. So you're basically talking about corruption there, aren't you? I mean, Tendai, is that, is that a big pervasive problem in Zimbabwe? I guess, how big a problem is it in Zimbabwe at this point in time, especially uh, around election time? Yes, it's a, it's a very big problem. What is, has been rightly stated before, the military has been involved in our political affairs since independence. Let's remember the history of this country. It came through a liberation struggle, an armed liberation struggle. And these uh, movements that were fighting in the bush, they were aligned to a political party. The problem is that when we attained our independence, instead of transforming these uh, military wings, so per se, into professional, a professional, nonpartisan military, they remained aligned to the political movements of the liberation struggle. So you find that today, it's not a surprise to find a military commander openly. We saw that during Mugabe's time, where military commanders would openly declare their support for the government and say, we are not going to salute anyone who did not participate in the liberation struggle. Mm -hmm. So you also find that there have been some uh, papers, you know, revelations, Panama papers, uh, some of these revelations where it's been exposed that some of the military, not the military, as already is rightly pointed out, not the military as an establishment, but some individuals within the military who have some serious, deep vested interest in our mining sector, in our, you know, deep into the economy of the country. So after the coup of 2017, you will find that they've got so much interest, especially from the economic fund, that any thought of a change of leadership, a change of government, which might bring accountability, which can ruin their economic clause that they've sunk deep in the economy of the country, is, uh, is inconceivable. They will never, uh, they cannot imagine that. So you'll find that the military finds comfort in the status quo remaining as it is. So they'll protect whoever is there. But if they were to find someone who is there in power today, mm -hmm. not going along with their interests, we don't know what could happen. It's just an assumption. We don't know. We don't even know how Mugabe was removed. Why was he removed? What really was going on behind the scenes? Why did the military suddenly turn around to, uh, against the person that they've been protecting for the past three decades, nearly four decades? Why? What happened? Mm. Why did they turn against him? So we'll see that there are some questions that need to be probed into and saying, what are the interests of the military in all of this? And what is it that they stand for? And what is it that they will not tolerate? So as it yeah. is, you'll find that the, 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 the regime that is currently in power would rather be in good books and place their loyal, their confidence in the military, protecting their, their grasp on power, their grip on power, than the majority, than a vote at the elections. So you find okay. that I do not, seriously, I do not believe that the current government is looking at the winning an election only. They will also right. want the military to guarantee that in case anything happens amiss, the military will be there to protect them. OK. I want to talk about the economy for a minute because obviously that is a huge issue, possibly the biggest issue facing Zimbabwe at this point in time. Vince, can you just, as the economist uh, on the show today, can you, can you just give us an idea of 
how dire it is at this point in time and what you think needs to be done to try and fix it, especially when it comes to inflation. Yeah, okay. Just, you know, I don't think anything can be done in the short term because we've got structural issues and we've got psychological issues. Let me talk first about the structural issues. Zimbabwe's economy, uh, if you look at some of the earnings that are coming into the country, is a monopolistic economy where you've got big corporates uh, that are basically in the formal sector, in the mining and agriculture sector and the retail sector. And then uh, they are contributing about 30% of GDP. Then you've got 70% of GDP coming from the informal sector that is highly unregulated and subsistence. So when it comes to actually economic policy, what is happening is that, as we saw, for example, last week when uh, the Minister of Finance came up with various policy measures, they just don't work because the informal sector is immune or maybe it, it does, do not recognize formal policy. They operate on the ground on a day-to-day -day basis. So the governor of the Reserve Bank and the minister and policymakers are facing a significant challenge in that formal economic policy is not working in Zimbabwe. For example, you increase interest rates and maybe the formal sector stops borrowing, but there's still money circulating in the informal economy. The, 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 the estimates are that, for example, they're contributing about 6% of GDP, just the informal economy. And, and so that is the structure where the informal economy is very focused on currency, where, you know, where they are trading with the U.S. dollar. They prefer the U.S. dollar. You know, we always argue yeah. that they've actually dollarized. And, and what is happening is that when the government issues local money, that money finds itself to the private market because no one is really interested in the US dollar. So there's an argument, do we dollarize the economy or do we leave it as it is the market uh, currency? And in my opinion, as long as we leave this economy in a market currency, we are always going to have inflation because people will prefer the US dollars and they're prepared to buy the US dollars at any price, which of mm -hmm. course increases the price of goods and services. So that's on the money side. Then you've got issues such as a very low employment level, you know, a dilapidating infrastructure when it comes to actually providing social services such as health and education. And we basically have uh, uh, what I call a patronage economy, uh, where, for example, you have to be aligned with the political party in order for you to access opportunities, which is crowding out a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of people, and we've had a lot of migration outside, we've gone outside the country in disgust because they're not able to explore the opportunities in the country. Then, right. obviously, we go to the issue of corruption, uh, which, which is a serious issue that everybody feels is not being addressed adequately. There have been stories uh, that, you know, that have come out, including the gold mafia issue, and it seems that the government has not actually done much on actually you know, making sure that they actually apprehend the people involved and actually address corruption seriously. So those are the issues that continue to actually worry a lot of people here. And in, in my opinion, that is not going to change overnight because mm. we now have a psychological issue where the value system or the, you know, people are used to actually cutting corners. The informal sector is unregulated. People don't pay their taxes. People want to make as much profit as possible. Everybody is profiteering, is looking after their interests. So we don't have a kind of structured way forward to say, listen, this is what we want to achieve in the long term. Right. Um, Piers, Vince just outlined a long list of very, very serious issues. Uh, and obviously, 
things are going to remain the same or get even worse in, in the short to midterm. I mean, how long before people band together and actually rise up against the government and demand real change? Do you think that that is a possibility? Uh, well, yes, and, and I'm sure Vince could add a whole raft of other issues uh, to, to, to that list and what this means for the miserization of, of most Zimbabweans at the moment. Uh, what we've seen uh, uh, for a, a number of reasons is that the Zimbabweans uh, have tended not to uh, protest on the streets, uh, when they have, they've been met with brutality. And we saw that earlier on in the uh, current government's uh, uh, tenure, uh, uh, well, just after the elections, and then again in January uh, 2019, when uh, live ammunition was used for the first time in, in, in Zimbabwe, mm -hmm. and the crowd to deal with protesters. Uh, I, I think, you know, Zimbabwe is driven by what I call the politics of survival and opportunism. And and survival uh, is is a key tenet for many people. They will look for options. What that has meant for many is to leave the country. Uh, and of course, we see the the, the politics of of of, of diaspora uh, dynamics playing out in different parts of the world. Uh, I expect uh, if the situation, uh, as we see in terms of its current trajectory, doesn't ameliorate. Uh, or start to turn the corner, mm. uh, then we will see more people leaving Zimbabwe or attempting to do so. Uh, and that means more people in South Africa, which, of course, is a, a, a heavily politicised issue at the moment, mm -hmm. uh, considering uh, the, the elections coming next year in South Africa, where uh, foreign the presence of a large number of foreigners uh, has become a weaponised issue in domestic politics here. So, so yeah, the, 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 the forecast is, is not pretty. Uh, at the moment. Uh, and unless we see some serious opportunity for a stabilization of the situation uh, in Zimbabwe, which really does require dealing with, as Vincent has said, the uh, structural dynamics, but also psychological dynamics, mm. we will uh, not see a turnaround. Apologies right. for load shedding. No. Uh, uh, obviously, not everyone can leave Zimbabwe, though. Um, I mean, last month a new law was introduced that outlaws criticism of the government, um, dubbed the Patriotic Bill. It contains a clause that uh, says, willfully damaging the sovereignty and national interests of Zimbabwe is a criminal act. Tende, what has been the reaction from the people to that bill? It's been utter shock. It's been shock, shocking, to say the least. Of course, we expected this. We saw this coming. They had been talking about this patriotic bill for a long time now, uh, threatening uh, mainly opposition uh, activists and, of course, uh, non-governmental organizations that are perceived to be telling the world the truth about what is happening in the country. So the major problem with that act or that bill is that how do you define national interests? That, that's a problem now. In a country where national interests are defined by a leader or a, a, a ruling party, it becomes a problem. I can come here on Al Jazeera and say in Zimbabwe there are no radiotherapy machines in our hospitals. And they said, you are telling the world you are disparaging your country, you are tarnishing the image of your country. Who knows? If the patriotic bill had been enacted by now, maybe that would have been charged for, for, for harming the country's national interests. <laughs> Thank goodness it's... it's it's not yet been uh, enacted into law. 
So, so it's days. very opaque that the whole law is here. Yeah, no, are you at risk, I mean, once it is brought into law, are you at risk of not being able to speak out like you, like you have been doing over the last 20 minutes or so? Definitely, most definitely. A lot of Zimbabweans would be at risk. Because let's, let's look at it this way. Here I'm talking directly to an international media, um, media channel, media outlet. Already it, say, it, it will be perceived as if I'm tarnishing the image mm -hmm. of the country to the international community. So I'm violating, possibly violating the Patriotic Act. Then we have today, is the, nowadays we have a world where anyone can be on, on Twitter, on social media. So anyone who posts anything that can be read maybe somewhere across the world, you are at risk. How do we define uh, talking to the international community? You can be at home and you post something on Twitter. You are talking to the international community, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. it, the, you are at, at risk of, of being accused of, of tarnishing the image of the country or harming its national interests. So it becomes tricky. We look at NGOs. Most non-governmental organizations in Zimbabwe communicate with embassies that are based here, foreign embassies that are based here. So if you are going to enact a law which, uh, which uh, bars Zimbabwean nationals or Zimbabwean citizens from communicating or having meetings with officials or agents or foreign governments. So even if I'm to go to, to, a, to an embassy today in Harare, to the Swedish embassy, the American embassy, mm -hmm. whatever, British embassy, and we just talk about these issues that are happening in the country, I can be accused under right. the Patriotic Act of having violated that and talking to a, an agent of the foreign government and uh, harming our country's national interest. So, yes, we are at risk because of mm. this law. And a lot of people now, you find we have self-censorship. You invite someone to participate in a program like this and they say, uh, my, my, right. I might not end up having a good night. I might end mm. up sleeping behind bars. So okay. that, they're, they're just using that to instill fear in the population. Right. Okay. Uh, Piers, I can see you're itching to, to jump in there. Do you want to respond to that? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, I, I agree to a certain extent with what Tendai is saying, and I think that there will be a chilling effect from uh, this legislation if indeed the president signs it into law. It's sitting there along with the Private Voluntary Organisations Amendment Act, which also needs to be signed, which is another law that appears to be uh, compressing civic space as well. I think it's important to remember uh, the way that laws are... Uh, employed in Zimbabwe in certain instances is often selective. They weaponize for particular purposes. And I think this is the fear that many people have, that whilst it's unlikely uh, uh, the law would pass constitutional muster, uh, but of course there are questions about capture of the constitutional court, uh, it, the question is, will it be employed or will it be used as a kind of sort of Damocles over the head of civil society. And I think mm -hmm. given the beating that civil society has had over, and the opposition over the last 20 years uh, or so, uh, that what uh, has been referred to by some opposition leaders as the harvest of fear uh, continues right. to reap rewards for this kind of practice. OK. Uh, we've just got a, a minute or two left, Vince. I want to finish with you. I mean, is it inevitable that this election will end up being disputed and that violence will inevitably follow, do you think? No, not necessarily. I mean, I think we have, we have seen less activity uh, towards elections currently. 
so I don't think uh, there is going to be as much violence as before. But my fear is that there might be contestation of the results after, and then we have a long drawn out situation where you know we don't have uh, things sorted out uh, post election. Uh, that is the fear. You know, hopefully the the, the results are, are clear and cut because you see. Uh, uh, as long as we create that lack of uh, kind of clarity and lack of confidence, it's everybody's pocket uh, regarding getting the economy going. So hopefully it's resolved and we don't have a drawn out issue and people can get back to their lives trying to make ends meet. Uh, that to me is more important uh, you know, than anything else. Indeed. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you to all three of our guests, Vince Masewe, Tende, Ruben Bafana and Piers Pigu. Thank you. This week on The Take, a closer look at what happened to a boat overcrowded with refugees that sank off the coast of Greece. We ask why these tragedies continue. That's The Take by Al Jazeera. Find it wherever you get your podcasts.